0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Hey, I'm here too.
1: Uh, I'm here as am, well. I'm also
0: We're here, helping, George. And we don't
2: put on voices when we read ads.
0: Look, we know you want to get to the podcast, <laughs> so we're going to keep this short. When it comes to opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories
2: every damn week. Now, what more uh, do you people want from us? If Rihanna Giddens' Aria Code was every week, we'd be screwed.
1: They hired a woman, ladies. <laughs> Come on. So, they, you got to start getting into this. It's so
2: good. Aria Code. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's
0: Check like, it I out. It's really Five cool. bucks buys an ad on social media. Ten bucks covers our website for a month, and twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. Mm-hmm. Twenty bucks—that's less than what Oliver spends each week on pomegranate molasses and
2: fancy tahini. That's true. That's not so a joke. The, <laughs> the original ad had something about hair products, and I'm almost bald, so I don't understand which you are trying to go.
1: <laughs> I mean, I if we're going to talk about hair products in this room, I'm probably the one that consumes the most of everyone. So yeah, so ten bucks buys my hair products for a week, guys. You can do it.
2: Don't
0: think you can give? Oh yes, you can. Simply review us on Apple Podcasts. Share our. Facebook
2: posts or retweet us most of all retweeting is actually very environmentally sound.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Reduce your carbon footprint, retweet,
0: especially if you use real birds. And most of all, keep listening to America's talk radio show about opera. Enjoy the podcast
1: live from Chicago. You're listening to opera box score. Uh Hey,
0: wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. Live in the Lakeside Studio, WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by co-host Weston Williams. All right, tonight, the 2020 season announcements are coming in fast and furious. We take a deep dive into the recently announced lineup at Opera North in England. We take another deep dive at the Washington National Opera season, and then we take a deep dive into the listener mailbag for a real barnstormer of a question, plus two-minute drill, coronavirus hits opera land, and of course, you can get your voice heard on air, but... This time, it's a little different how we're going to get voices on air. First of all, let me get Weston Williams out here. Oh, hey,
3: everyone. How are you? Great it's to have so you. It's so nice to be with you and just you tonight. I, I, I like the t- the two-person show. The two-person show. Just, I really do. Just two guys being dudes, you know? Well,
0: it, not that, like, if Ashley was here and it was me and Ashley, I would I would love that, too. But it's like... The hallmark of sports radio is really to have just just, two just, dudes
3: just talking about whatever two people comes to on, their mind. on the line. Uh, um,
0: hey, it is Phonathon. It is the one time of year where we at WNUR ask you to help make this happen. It is super easy to donate. WNUR.org slash donate is the easiest way to do it. You can also call us on our Regular hotline number 847-866-9687, operator standing by to take your call
3: on that as well. And this will still be going on for a few days. So if you're listening to the podcast version and it's not too late, call in, give give money to WNUR. They're so great to have us here at Opera Box Score. We appreciate them so much. Uh, a little bit of sports from
0: over the weekend. Last Saturday was the most recent incarnation of the world Heavyweight title in boxing.
3: Ooh, you know, I've always wondered what is, uh, what is, what makes you heavy in boxing? Because I look at boxing, I see yeah. two beefy beefy dudes just going at it. Or beefy ladies, okay. beefy people. Well, I'm
0: glad you asked this, Weston, because um, if, if you can get personal for a second with mm, the listeners, mm, mm, how how tall are you?
3: I'm pretty big. I'm pretty dang big. I am uh, six feet seven inches tall.
0: Okay, and uh, how much do you weigh, ish?
3: Uh, oh gosh, uh, if you don't mind uh, telling
0: us, two thirty. Two thirty ish. Okay, so um, the uh, Tyson Fury, who was the boxer who won the world heavyweight, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is 6'9, oh, 270. Geez.
3: Oh jeez, <laughs> that's a big boy. That's a lot of mammal. <laughs> <laughs> that is so big. Oh jeez, that would be the first time if you were to walk in the studio right now. I would feel uh, about your size right now.
0: Exactly, yeah. crazy.
3: Um, quick
0: correction, of course, before we get onto the show as well. Uh, this is from Oliver. He says Christine Gerke will make her role debut as Isolde at the Metropolitan Opera's production of Wagner's Tristan and Isolde next season. All right, let's talk some opera.
1: Chock Talk on Opera Box Score.
0: Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. Do a little chalk talk here. Um do some deep dives into the upcoming seasons announcements that we've come across. Opera North is based in Leeds in the north of england
3: that does make sense that they would be in the north being well there's in the al- north. <laughs> there's also an opera north in this country in maine we can't confuse the two uh, uh so uh obviously you know we we know all about the eno we know all about um um uh the royal opera house right. what makes uh opera north so special
0: well uh, first of all and i, I say this having Growing up in England and my mother's English. uh, I mean, Leeds is actually a very important city in England. Like, when Mm -hmm. you you look at sort of the landscape of England, right, obviously London is by far the biggest city, followed by Birmingham – Manchester, But Leeds is actually, you know, in the sort of northern central part of the country, very close to a lot of other major cities. It is definitely a city, in my opinion, that really kind of punches above its weight mm. culturally, <laughs> financially, economically. Like me
3: against the six foot nine gentleman.
0: Just like you. <laughs> what
3: I'd, I'd love to see that fight.
0: Um, so it's no surprise that it has... Such an important institution like Opera North.
3: It was originally a, an offshoot of ENO, I believe. That's right. Uh, sort, of b- like a, sort of like back in the seventies. Sort of like a
0: touring wing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's it's an important opera house to me, and I think to the to the general public. A lot of these productions also tour that part of the country as well. So if you if you go to their website and you look at their kind of promo video, it's it's super exciting. <laughs> it is. It shows you the work that they're doing, the breadth of their repertoire, how they're connecting with the community, how they're showing racial diversity, how they're connecting with children and music. It's a really great promo video. Let's take a look at the season. Uh, kicking off with uh, Verdi's La Traviata, this is a new production directed by Alessandro Talevi. He, of course, directed uh, Prokofiev's Love for Three Oranges at
3: the O Festival, have, he, you, have you? Have you? Did you say you had met him before? I uh,
0: I have met him. Yeah, yeah. Years ago, he he would not remember me, but uh, it'd be fun to <laughs> Don't get him on the short, show, George. So, t- Trouble in Tahiti. Uh, th- this is the the Bernstein one act. The the question with Trouble in Tahiti is. Because it's only clocks in at like sixty-five minutes. It's a right. The question opera. is, what
3: do you pair it with? Yeah, what it wine goes with Trouble in Tahiti? And they've decided that their wine should be the West Side Story Symphonic Dances, uh, which is, I think, a pretty decent solution. Um, it's, uh, it's always a, uh, you know, uh, West Side Story. I think is a much more Famous and well-known piece than uh, than shall we than trouble T- with Tahiti um, uh, at least in most circles I would say uh, trouble not trouble with Tahiti trouble in Tahiti um, and, and so uh, uh, so I think you you have an interesting opportunity to have people see the words West Side Story on the program and be like oh maybe I'll see this other thing by the guy by the same guy you know uh, I think it's a pretty solid uh, uh, choice
0: plus I mean trouble in Tahiti. It is scored for orchestra. You're right. going to have those instrumentalists there. <laughs> They're already there. I mean, you. <laughs> it's interesting, right? You might as well use them. Uh, put not just use them, but put them front and center.
3: Yeah. I yeah. wonder if
0: that piece is going before Trouble and Tahiti,
3: like within the evening. I'm not sure. Um, um, my my thought would be. My thought would be that it'll probably be after, but if I was programming it, I'd probably put it first. Um, Another opera coming up that's kind of interesting to me is this uh, uh, production of Jack the Ripper, which is a a newer opera. Uh, I think it came out, uh, what, a few years ago um, uh, by uh, Ian Bell. Very, very recently. Within the
0: last year. uh, It was at English National Opera. Ian Bell, of course, friend of the show, friend of mine. Uh, I mean... You know, I I think we can be honest here. The reviews for Jack the Ripper at English National Opera were not phenomenal. Mm. Uh, It's surprising to me that it's getting another outing, A, so soon, and B, in the same country.
3: Well, I think it's uh, it's one of those that it's such a it's such a British British sort of uh, uh, story, right? You know, the story of Jack the Ripper uh, is a very very British thing, so it, it makes sense. And I think that uh, um, the that sort of era, that sort of time and place is is. Uh, Is a popular one at the moment. The whole, uh, I I think back a couple seasons ago to when Chicago Opera Theater did Elizabeth Cree. Mm -hmm. Same sort of Mm -hmm. flavor. And I I think that, you know, it's one of those operas that I think could be done in such a way as could be really, really popular. It's just a matter of hitting the right audience at the right time with the right production. I also wanted to mention that the librettist for Jack the Ripper is by Emma Jenkins, which is always an exciting Thing to have a uh, woman on the uh, uh, on the creative team behind an opera, and that will, if they play that up, play their cards right, they could could get them a little bit more attention, maybe the second time around.
0: Later on in the season, they're doing *Alcina*, the Baroque opera by Handel. It's going to feature American countertenor Patrick Terry as Ruggerio. This was interesting. It's the first large-scale production using recycled or upcycled materials for sets and costumes in a new initiative for sustainable productions.
3: The the idea of a sustainable production is so interesting and exciting for me um, because, uh, I mean, uh, I I think back to, oh gosh, it must have been a couple months now, we covered a story um, uh, where someone wrote kind of an op-ed about um, how the touring culture of classical music, uh, using all the planes and stuff, Uh, uh, was something that we really have to start being concerned about uh, from a climate change perspective. Uh, And the idea of creating a perfectly uh, sustainable production is something that I think it would be really interesting to see more opera houses uh, adopt and bring into uh, their sort of advertising to not just, you know, uh, advertise their own, you know, consciousness of the environment and what needs to be done, but also to actually help the environment. Because uh, I think, you know, all these big, glorious, beautiful sets sitting there—they're only ever going to be used for that. In, in nine out of ten cases, uh, they'll get then they'll get broken down, wind up in a landfill. And I think the idea of of really being conscious about where your set comes from and how you create it in a sustainable way, is something that we need to be pursuing. Yeah,
0: let's be honest. I mean, theater is actually a very wasteful art form. As you say, (laughs) Weston, right? Like, these enormous sets are built. Ninety-four percent of them are not put into the repertoire, A, because no opera company except for, you know, the big A houses like right. the Met, San Francisco, Chicago, have space to store these sets. So they're probably thrown away. Even if you're working in a design which is purely light, right, like the energy that is used mm-hmm. is, is phenomenal. Uh, obviously, you... You need electricity. We have to see the the singers. But- I
3: say go back to candles. Who cares about theaters burning down? <laughs> but I, I do think that it's uh, and I also think that it's interesting that they're doing it for Alcina too. Uh, and I think this is the first of three operas they have planned in the near future that's going to be this sustainable thing, which will hopefully uh, lead to others. But the idea of Alcina, such an old sort of classic, you know. It, it evokes sort of the big opulent sort of baroque stagings of the past with all of the you know the cloud machines and all the gilt stuff, uh, gilded stuff. I think it makes it kind of an interesting statement to be doing it with a production uh, like that.
0: You can do, but also, I mean, those baroque operas, because they're on the older end of the repertoire, actually, I think can also give a designer a lot of license to be very abstract. That's also and, true. And yeah, there's something within that abstract aesthetic which perhaps really lends itself to using recycled and upcycled. I have no idea what up Upcycled means, by the way.
3: Um, it's it's recycling, but in reverse. <laughs> I don't know. We can look it up over the break. <laughs>
0: uh, we're moving on to Washington National. Oh, Opera before Na- we move on to Washington oh, yeah, National,
3: uh, we also want to mention that they are uh, that uh, Opera North is also doing Carmen, uh, Girl of the Golden West, the Puccini version, not the John Adams version, and uh, Parsifal. So I'm basically waiting on a call from Opera North to give me a ticket for that one. All right, now oh, for Washington. Don't hold National. your breath, buddy.
0: Yeah. So we talked about Washington National Opera on the show.
3: We mentioned it a little bit last week. Last um, week.
0: Before we go to that, right. of course, again, quick reminder to everybody hanging out with us tonight. Uh it is Phonathon. It the is best your chance to help out not just Opera Boxcore, but all the DJs at WNUR eighty nine point three FM here in Evanston. Uh, ten bucks gets you a sticker. Twenty five bucks gets you a t shirt. T shirt, oh and, man. and a sticker. And a sticker. 50 bucks gets you a, a t-shirt, a sticker and a hat.
3: <laughs> That's everything I want in life, you'd George. Be, you'd
0: be like dressed to the nines the- <laughs> right now I'm Hopefully
3: completely leaning Hopefully with that sticker nude, over your so. mouth.
0: w n u or us uh, yeah, try that again w slash u r.org/donate is how to donate. Weston, back to Washington National Opera. So
3: uh, last week we talked a little bit about WNO, um, but uh, I'm gonna since he's not here, I'm gonna blame Oliver. Uh, he we conflated the end of the current season with the actual season announcement, uh, which includes Beethoven's Fidelio with Elsa Van den Heever and a directorial de- debut of Renee Fleming. So let's just to clear out any of the confusing air. Let's just kind of hit uh, hit you with kind of what they're coming, what's coming up for the next season, and not the end of this season. So uh, as I already. mentioned, mentioned Fidelio, Beethoven's 250th uh, uh, birthday, makes sense. Uh, Nixon in China, which I am always excited to see. Um, Boris Gudnov, which I am ecstatic to see. Uh, uh, Rigoletto, uh, Cosi tutte, and La Boheme. Uh, the, uh, the conducting, the, not sorry, the, conducting, the directorial debut uh, of Renee Fleming is for that Cosi tutte, and I'll be very interested to see how that goes. She's at her this point in her career where she's uh you know really finding ways to um, uh, as she kind of winds down her her operatic singing career find these other outlets of expression and I'm re- i would be really fascinated to see her take on something that she would uh, know as well as Kosi. Um, and there's uh, uh, also uh, just uh, a lot of really big names coming up in the season. We've got uh, Angel Blue, Ryan Speedo Green, um, uh, Christopher Maltman, uh, just uh, uh, lots of really interesting uh, sort of combinations and lots of, I think, fairly ambitious programming uh, for WNO. Uh, particularly Boris Gudnov struck me as kind of a... Uh, a I, whenever I see Boris Gudinov, the the thing that really hits me is not necessarily the scale of the production, but the scale of the opera, the 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 size of it, the 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 heft the of the music. Of
0: yeah, I mean, what you're saying is is this. Um you know, aggressive programming, when you purely look at the titles, I would not say that this is aggressive programming. What's to note is that five of these productions are new to Washington National Opera. Mm -hmm. Anytime an opera company does a production brand new, there are surprises. (laughs) There are things that you think are going to be really easy. They turn out to be really difficult. So so that, to me, is what reads ambitious, right? La Boheme... Not a terribly ambitious choice: Cozy, Rigoletto, Fidelio. But as you say, Boris Godunov. I mean, that thing is like the monster truck rally of <laughs> of, of mid century.
3: Uh, there, there is opera. literally
0: like any <laughs> opera can be shrunk down in the dryer. Boris Godunov, you cannot shrink
3: that. It, down. Yeah, it's it's the blanket that gets fluffier as it goes through the dryer. It is, uh, and that, and of course Nixon in China, always. Uh, I think a very appropriate one for uh, WNO. Um, uh, I think a very exciting one to see, too.
0: I mean, that is a truly inspired choice, right? There you are in our nation's capital. Yeah, it's right there. You're wrestling with this idea that, you know, all theater is political in some way. Uh, I I love the parallel of, like, the current president Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with Nixon, right? Like, these two guys are both complete crooks, in my opinion. (laughs) And so there they are doing Nixon in China. That is... Is an inspired choice. That is why Francesco Zambello, the general director, is paid the big bucks. Uh, the artistic director, excuse me, is paid the big bucks.
3: One of the uh, other companies that sort of uh, uh, released their uh, state uh, their their season last week uh, was Minnesota Opera. However. We are going to hold off on that because next week uh, you'll want to come uh, tune in again because we have the chief artistic officer, Priti Gandhi, who will be joining us live via phone to talk through the season and everything else. That'll be on March 9th, a week from, uh, uh, I believe it's a week from now. At nine p.m. Central. Just in
0: two weeks. Two weeks. Right? Two weeks. I, I can't. March. 2nd. I can't count. <laughs> is it? Is it leap year? That's that's throwing you off. on Yes. The day? Yes. Okay. If it
3: hadn't been the leap year, I would have gotten it the first try. I Nailed promise. That,
0: <laughs> that is going to be a fabulous interview. the The Minnesota Opera season is really quite spectacular. I, I mean, you can go to the website if you want. I'm I'm not going to reveal any of it. There is a show in that season mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is so surprising, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so shocking. Check it out for yourself and make sure you. Come I love back.
3: this clickbait that you're doing. One of these operas will no, no, shock it's, you. It's called
0: Good Radio, <laughs> Weston. There's a big question in our listener mail bag. That's next on America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Encoda. Endorsed by Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce D. Donato, Encoda is like a Spotify of scores. It's, like the,
2: it's like the Netflix for new music, it's like the Hulu of <laughs> notes. <laughs> Okay. Encoda is a beautiful app for streaming the
0: world's largest digital library of sheet music on subscription. They got your novellos. They oh. got your recordies. Oh, they, got yeah. your they got your Baron They mm. got your calmuses
2: though. Do you want to have calmus at your fingertips? <laughs> I
0: think think that's cleared up by now. (laughs) Encoda has aggregated a hundred catalogs from your favorite publishers. Mm. That's thousands of titles, millions
2: of pages of music at your fingertips. Hopefully, you don't get a paper cut, but you won't because it's digital. Yeah,
3: you'll get a million little paper cuts. You'll get a tablet cut
2: instead.
0: Practice, play, and perform off your phone, laptop, tablet, even your phablet. Wait, wait, what's that?
2: (laughs) That's your uh, phone tablet. You know, those really big phones that only basketball players can hold. Basically, you can play it on your
3: smart toilet.
0: Yes. Coda app makes editing and sharing sheet music stress-free and easy. Search content, browse curated playlists, and discover new music by using unique smart technology.
2: That's actually a really good idea. Like, what if you could have music on your refrigerator? Those smart refrigerators. Like, so like <laughs> as you're like standing there like trying to decide what to do, you could be practicing. Where
0: know? is my milk? <laughs> this isn't for you, Oliver, because you don't do smart. <laughs> oh. wherever oh, you are oh, utilize yeah. all of Encoda's features and keep your entire library of scores in one place download Encoda from your app store today for free trial that's N-K-O-D-A
2: and you could also go to Encoda.com to learn more Chalk
1: Talk on Opera box Score.
0: that's what you're listening to I'll right. George Cedarquist with you this evening along with Weston Williams
3: the big two, it's, George and
0: Wes. I, I just, I love the two-person show.
3: <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, I hope I really our listeners do, do too. I, ho-
0: I hope they do. I hope that it's easier for them to hear the, our voices, literally, but also to kind of follow the conversation.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I, we all
0: speak very quickly on this show. Listeners have written about that before.
3: Yes, um, absolutely. So and me- speaking of listeners, a <laughs> good segue. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say uh, thanks to one of our listeners, uh, Ken who gave us an invite to tailgate with him last week, and who's in town to see Queen of Spades at Lyric Opera. Unfortunately, I could not make it. T- Did you make it, No, no. We,
0: I, I, I passed the word around the office, and we were all booked. But how badass was that? It was so, so like, good. Hey, I loved that. just want
3: to grab a beer
0: before we go see this opera? Yeah, sure. I was oh. like, yeah.
3: Uh, anyway, uh, we also have another uh, listener mailbag. And this, is, uh, this one is a much... Uh, Bigger listener mailbag, uh, so big we decided to give it a whole segment. So I I just first want to say a big, big thank you to our listener, Nyusha from Brooklyn. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, uh, And they have a a very long question, which I'm going to sort of break down a little bit into sort of the essentials. Uh, They are having a very hard time to find operas that are not heteronormative, Eurocentric, or religious. Uh, So they give us the question, could you please introduce me to some operas that are not about women being manipulated, abused, or glorifyingly victimized, and also does not include cliché gender roles, and is without Eurocentric, stereotypical perception of non-white cultures? Um, And uh, she kind of has a, a B question here. You can also extensively talk about the Sexual Abuse by Powerful Men in Opera Um, But how can we expect these kinds of behavior to go away if we don't revolutionize the cultural content that audience and opera professionals are exposed to? Thank you once again to Neosha. And we might refer back to other parts of the question as we go along. Uh, But first, uh, we have uh, a—obviously, Ashley is our sort of— Um, resident expert on women's issues, but she couldn't be here tonight, but she did uh, really... It's not
0: because she's a woman, by the way. It's
3: (laughs) it's because she's an expert on most things. This is true. Um, But she was very kind to uh, write up a very long response uh, that we will kind of start to break down um, uh, for you, Neosha, and for anyone who is listening as well. well. This
0: this was Ashley's take. She says, you know, for for your first question, I sadly have to answer, this is Ashley's quote, I'm working on it, but having trouble getting pieces that meet both parts of your Mm -hmm. request. Mm -hmm. Right? There's gender bending in Baroque operas, but still the feminine characters can often come off as weak or as property, except for somebody like Cleopatra and and Handel's Giulio Cesare. And Ashley goes on to say, look, here's the thing. Much of the operatic canon like the canons of other art forms, was created at a time when the driving forces were money, the church, the gender binary was the norm, right? And and Ashley says, let me be clear. It's not that the non-binary didn't exist or that there weren't female-identifying folks fighting patriarchy. It's just that their stories simply weren't being told or if they were being told, they were being fetishized. So if you're looking for grand opera that meets the search, Ashley says, sadly... The answer is likely a no.
3: That's really interesting too, because when I when I got this question myself, I, I was I I, I kind of sat in a chair and just kind of found myself stumped for about half an hour. You know, this was uh, but uh you
0: didn't talk for half an hour.
3: <laughs> that is extraordinary. I just stared out at the wall and watched the paint dry. Drooling, yeah. No, there's uh my 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 mind also went uh, fairly quickly to a lot of the early Baroque pieces uh, where you have. Um, where the the notion of gender is a little bit more uh, fluid than we think of now, um, uh, particularly in my my, my go to example is Alcina by Handel, you know, uh, and of course tons of pants roles, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of that subtext is played up by a lot of modern um, directors. But when it does come down to it, I do. I am forced to say that most uh, most big grand operas prior to the twentieth century, and I think including a lot of the twentieth century, don't fulfill all those criteria. I mean, you can have operas that uh, challenge the gender binary, um, but you'll also have um, operas that, uh, at the same time, they might be culturally insensitive. They might, you know, uh, 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 they might be doing one thing right and one thing wrong i find that a lot of times uh, when they do everything right if they ever do it's almost by accident do you know what i mean uh like for example um billy budd has no women characters therefore there's no violence against women on stage <laughs> That's de- that sort definition. thing yeah. exactly and that doesn't feel very satisfying either um and even if you go to uh uh, uh a-, a lot of uh, operas composed by women, uh, say uh, Francesca Caccini, who was the first uh, known uh, female opera composer. Um, she was still writing operas based on librettos written by men, um, and not just men, but men of the you know 1600s, which is you know another level there that you have to deal with. Um, it's always going to be tricky because even the most progressive work, not just in opera but also film. Theater books, uh, uh, anything that's considered progressive now is is going to have some degradation um, in terms of how we perceive it in ten, fifteen years, um, and it's a, a tricky it's a tricky line to walk sometimes when you're putting on a production like uh, Nyusha points out Don Giovanni, um, uh, where you have this opera with this. Uh, obviously a misogynistic man, getting all the glory. And then you look at the rest of the season and there is nothing to counterbalance it.
0: Well, and, you know, we are finally, as, as Ashley says, and and I would agree with this, you know, in an era that is stripping down the binary, but big art, man, is big art slow, right? <laughs> it takes yes. resources that are reluctant to get on board. Big art notices the work of the storefronts but only picks it up when it's proven itself successful. Big art takes time to catch up, right? So you look at, say, uh, the opera as one, like Kimberly Reed, Laura Kaminsky, Mark Campbell piece, right? It is now one of the twenty most produced operas in America, right? For like five seasons in a row now, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Um, and but I think it really speaks to to how the tide is changing. What was what was the second? Part of the question that Nyusha had.
3: Um, the second part of the question, just to remind everyone, um, uh, I'm going to quote You also extensively talk about the special, uh, sexual abuse by powerful men in opera, but how can we expect these kinds of behavior to go away if we don't revolutionize the cultural content that audience and opera professionals are exposed to? And this is something that I think is uh, a very hard question to uh, grapple with. I think there are a few solutions. Um, obviously, the the most obvious one is to you know get rid of some of those war horses, get them out of the uh, the cannon, and start producing more new works uh, from diverse creators um, who are conscious about this this sort of thing. Um, uh, we need we need more operas by women. We need more operas by non-binary folks. We need more operas by. Uh, um, People who are not old white men, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and we, we've been saying this uh, for a long time, um, but at the same time, you you don't uh, the you don't want to throw out the you almost don't want to throw out all of the the classics entirely. And I don't think you should either. So I think when you get right down to how to deal with those operas where there are inherently problematic elements to them, I think there needs to be. Uh, a cultivation of sort of uh, a consciousness about uh, about the operas themselves. And and that needs to come from a production standpoint, particularly direction.
0: Exactly right. I mean, this is why the director, in my opinion, has become one of the more important theater makers in opera Mm -hmm. in the 20th and the 21st century, right? Historically, the role of the director... Is relatively new. Right, right. right Directors absolutely. only began like in the late nineteenth century with the the Duke of Saxe Meinigan's players and, and all that. <laughs> um, but as Ashley says, we can try to keep the music but shake up the story. We reclaim it for today. Ashley says, I'm inspired by creatives that are taking our canon and turning the stories on their ears. The story of John Giovanni can be less rapey, more, look at this guy who doesn't get that times have changed. We can amend the ending of Carmen so she takes back her own power. That's what they did in the...
3: Right, yeah, a couple of years ago, they uh, they changed the ending so that Carmen uh, in, kills Don yeah, 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 it was
0: that production in...
3: Uh, Florence, I believe. In
0: Florence, right, exactly. Uh, you could pretty easily, I think, make the magic flute non-binary. Oh, um, for sure. We, we can reshape and, and redirect the narrative.
3: Um, And I also think that it's it's not even I mean, obviously, there's the sort of the Reggie theater idea of um, criticizing the art from the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, Like whenever you see a a, a production of, say, the Ring Cycle in in Europe, you are not going to get the bare bones. You're going to get direct uh, criticism of Wagner. Um, uh, to the point where they will literally put someone in a Wagner mask and, <laughs> and make fun of them for for five hours. Yeah, and, and you yeah. know that that kind of thing is is great. However, one of the one of the problems I come across um, with uh, older classic art is that it, it's very easy to approach it from a very sort of uh, baseline kind of area. It's very easy to come in and be like, "I'm here to be entertained for a few hours." We need to create uh, not just a culture backstage, but also on the front of the stage where where the audience members are able to think critically about what they're seeing. Uh, I think they can still enjoy uh, a Don Giovanni if they are aware of the cultural context in which it was written, why, if there is anything of value to be had in it, what we can extract, what we can change what problems uh, arise and why Why Don Giovanni is so despicable.
0: Exactly. I mean, we've reached the point, I think, Nyusha, and to all who are listening, we've reached the point in opera making where we can no longer just present the canonical works as they are on the
3: page. Absolutely. Right?
0: Like, the, the next stage in the way we make art is to really tear them apart and shred them and... Turn them on their heads. Blow some, up the opera houses. Some people, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Some, some people aren't going to like that. I mean, hell, we, we've had listener mailbags on this show where people are like, why do you insist on talking about operas that are contemporary and have transgendered characters and are moving songs in the opera into different places and are resetting these productions, right? That, that believe in the value of presenting the classics as classics.
3: And that's always going to be a trick because uh, we're very fortunate, I think, with our chosen art form uh, that we have such a long canon to choose from. And I'm also very much a believer in the idea of uh, uh, progressive art in the sense that uh, I, I don't want to write retellings of old art, but in a more, uh, shall we say, quote unquote, woke Manner. I, I want the art form to be moved, move forward, and in order to do that, we do have to be conscious of what's come before, so we're not repeating the same cycles over and over and over again. Um, which is why I encourage people to still listen to the classics, still enjoy them, but we can definitely tone down on how much we perform them. We can, uh, we can recontextualize how they're seen, and we can cultivate this idea of these, these were not perfect works of art that endure forever. These were products of their time as well. And these are things that were not perfect about them and things that nowadays we want to see end. And that's fine. And I I think it's one of those things where it it feels like sometimes when I make this argument that I'm saying, oh, you can have both, and then then no one's happy. But I genuinely do think that there is a middle ground if we cultivate uh, a listenership and uh, uh, not just a listenership, but also uh, um, a a culture of trying to understand these pieces and new pieces and being aware of their political uh, context that can really push things forward in a positive way for everyone who is not just old and white.
0: I I have a bad feeling that To Nyusha's question, I don't. I don't know if we really (laughs) gave the answer that they were (laughs) hoping for, looking for. I I mean, I think we made it more complicated.
3: We probably did, but it's a complicated. It's it's a complicated question, and this is in many ways. We'll we'll keep coming back to this question uh, multiple times over. You know, probably until. We all get old and, uh, and, <laughs> and die, uh, but, but I, I do think that um, there, are, uh, there are a few operas out there that might not fulfill all your uh, criteria, uh, you, but there are ones you can uh, find. I would always recommend uh, look for operas by women, um, by uh, non-binary people, by people uh, from other cultures lots of new works um I, I would also recommend if you want to go back into something that might not fulfill all the requirements but i really really like there's an opera called um uh, uh, and and uh Barbe Bleu. i can't pronounce french but it's Ariane and bluebeard yeah. uh which is by uh, De, uh, uh ducat paul ducat uh who uh, is mostly known for sorcerer's apprentice um but he wrote this this great proto-feminist opera about Ariana basically breaking into Bluebeard's castle and uh, basically attempting to rescue all the women inside there, and it touches on all these uh, interesting ideas about why people who are abused—not just you know uh, in em- emotionally, but in uh, a more gr- broader political sense as well—will often uh, shrink back into those places um, uh, if they if they're not ready to you know. Uh, rise above them, and uh, how a manipulator like Bluebeard, like the patriarchy, really affects that. And it's not perfect. It was written um, at the turn of the 20th century, um, while first-wave feminism was just kind of gaining steam, and it's by a man, obviously. But I think it's a really interesting early step that feels like a classic opera, even though it's underappreciated, um, but still has the right spirit to it if well, not the full execution the
0: conversation is not going to end here of course we no. appreciate <laughs> all of our listeners who write in or who tweet us at opera box score we can't respond to all our correspondence but we do read all of it it's opera box score in wnur 89.3 fm we're going to step aside for one second before we do it's that one time of year It's Photothon 2020 when we at WNUR ask you, our listeners, to help us out. You can give very easily. And you can get a sticker. The swag is really great. A t-shirt. WNUR.org slash donate. A hat. There's a lot of swag.
3: So uh, much swag. So I made my donation.
0: I got I got some swag coming my way. I'm
3: really excited. He's very excited. Really uh, excited uh, about uh, that. I'm, I'm probably going to get yeah. one, too, just so I can have that hat and we can have yeah. matching hats. We going to be yeah. twins, yeah. Yeah. just the two of us hanging out in the studio in our matching WNR and gear. It's, it's what, a dream come happened. true. Coronavirus strikes the
0: opera land community. We're going to talk about that. A lot more coming up next Right after this, WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, it's America's Talk Radio Show
1: about opera. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
2: Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Haymarket Opera Company, presenting Elizabeth the xiong in concert on Friday, February 28th.
0: Shong, shi shong, shong, shong.
2: Was that, was that racist? <laughs> What's that? No, man. Okay. That's a famous hip-hop tune. Oh, really? Okay, so I wouldn't know. So I'm the racist one. Hailed by Opera News as an unstoppable presence and one of the finest new voices to be heard at the Met, Met soprano Elizabeth Tishong joins the Haymarket Opera Orchestra for an intimate evening of Bach cantatas at the new Holt Schneider Performance Center at DePaul University. That's a be- be-
0: beautiful, it's a beautiful venue,
2: actually. It, it's fantastic. Great place. There are many things to like about it, but not the Florence Lighting. That was... Um, (laughs) Luminary keyboardist Yuri Vinicor also joins the ensemble, taking a turn as soloist in a concerto by Bach. Lighting, Luminary, I saw, what you did that. Which Bach? Uh, Probably JS, I'm going to say. Johnny C. Bastard. Yeah, definitely not uh, C.P.E. Oh, PDQ. PDQ. PDQ, yeah. PDQ. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny if a I love this PDQ, PDQ reference yeah. here in 2020. Tickets are now available for Elizabeth DeShong in concert on Friday, February 28th with the Haymarket Opera Orchestra. For more information, go to
1: haymarketopera.org. This just in, the two-minute drill. All
0: right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land this past week. Despite objections from sexual abuse activists, the Israeli opera will host a week-long singing competition organized by Spanish opera star Placido Domingo. Teatro La Scala in Milan has suspended all performances due to the coronavirus. In Vienna, a same-sex couple is about to waltz into history. The prestigious Opera Ball, which dates back to the 19th century, is a bastion of tradition. But in this year's opening ceremony, Two women will glide across the floor in each other's arms. Carlo Rizzi was conducting Welsh National Opera's new production of Verdi's Sicilian Vespers, and uh, phones, not one, but two cell phones started ringing during that performance. He stopped the show and spoke to them. Semi-finalists uh, will compete today for the year's Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions, and by this time next week, we're going to know who the winners are. World class vocal performances lined up for next season at San Francisco Symphony. Michelle DeYoung sings Udit to the Bluebeard of Gerald Finley in the opera by Bartok. Christine Gerkey stars in Strauss's Elektra. Ian Bostridge appears in Britain's War Requiem. And this is super cool. Natalie Stutzmann conducts the orchestra in Strauss's Four Last Songs with Renee Fleming. Adam Unger was on the farm team for the New York Yankees in the early 2000s. He's now a baritone. He was saying Monterone and Verdi's Rigoletto in New York last weekend. In a fun promotional stunt for Swedish opera house Operan, an ad agency asked local children to pick between two things they generally not want, opera or broccoli. Results, not surprising, but certainly hilarious. Over to the DL, LA Opera has announced that Angela Mead will be performing the role of Elizabeth I in its upcoming production of Donizetti's De Roberto Devereux. She'll be replacing Davina Rodriguez, who is withdrawing due to illness. And actually, this is the third high-profile cast change for the production after Domingo left the company. Alice Coote also withdrew. Exit stage left. Greg Trupiano, Sarasota Opera's longtime company manager and more recently director of artistic administration. He died on Tuesday at 64. Actress Zoe Caldwell won a Tony for playing Maria Callas in Masterclass. She's died at 86, and Italian baritone Franco Bordone died at the age of 88 on February 13. On this day, the premiere of Monteverdi's Orfeo, the first opera, most people would say. That was in 1607. London premiere of Handel's Rinaldo, which is the first Italian opera written for the London stage, and we commemorate the birthdays of Arrigo Boito, the Verdi librettist, composer of Mephistopheles in 1842. Rudolf Gantz, the Swiss-born American composer in the namesake of Gantz Hall right here in Chicago. He's born in 1877. And soprano Renato Scotto turns 86 today. That is your two-minute drill. And that's a little bit of Renata Scotto singing from Donizetti's Lelizir d'Amore. Uh, I want to go straight to the phone lines right now and see if our old friend Tobias Wright's hanging around.
4: I'm here. George.
3: It's Toby. How's your retirement going? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Retirement's going very well. <laughs> yeah, play, on you a you tropical play, island. You, you playing
0: golf all the time, buddy, or what?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, It's... It's been lovely in Denver so far. There's been more snow apparently in the last month than they normally get. So I'm glad that I brought that with me.
0: Tobias right back on the show, but for kind of a, a sad reason, my man, that you're calling in.
4: Yeah. So, you know, I, I just wanted to, I, I pinged you guys today um, uh, and, and just really thought it would be important to make sure that we celebrated the life of Greg Trupiano. Um and I think part of the reason that it was important that we had that and talked about it on the show wasn't just because of my personal relationship with him but how many countless hundreds of people um, encountered and and were mentored um, and advised by Greg Trupiano um, not just through his relationship with Sarasota but um, the the opera world at large and so he meant a lot to me he was a very dear and personal friend but I know that I'm you know, one of, like I said, a couple hundred people who would be able to say that. And so that's why I called was was just to, you know, lend a voice to that and really share what he meant to me and, and what I know he meant to so many others.
0: Greg Truppiano was one of those guys in the business, which is so few and far between. I mean, I wrote to him over a number of years and he'd always write back and, and say, hey, you know, I, I have no job for you right now, but stay in touch. The one time, that uh, I, I think he came to Chicago when I was here is he called me up and he's like, let's meet. And we went out for Peruvian food. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and ex- I mean, and exactly that it's like, and, and you never got hired by him and it didn't matter. And it was, you know, it was really, it was so interesting. Even when I was no longer in consideration for certain things at Sarasota, He still made it a point to reach out to me. Um, As recently as, you know, a few months ago, he emailed me just to check in and see how things are going with a new job. And, I mean, George, he reached out to you, and it's just the kind of person that he was. And I think that's why, you know, the company that he was associated with um, is doing so well and and was in such great hands, and it'll continue to be. But um, I just feel like those kinds of people are really – unicorns you know they not everyone's willing to invest like that um especially in today's world when it's such a we want quick turnaround quick glorification and and trupiano really took the time to invest and and get to know and understand why people pursued what they pursued and i think that was what made him so special
0: that's so true that in this business in this world of moving quickly of getting rich quick that sense of like long-term dedication and, and and building friendships was so unique to him
4: Absolutely, um, Tobias. Absolutely.
0: So t- I, Tobias Wright. Of course, I miss
4: you all so, so dearly. I'm going to interrupt <laughs> you. Uh, I love you. I love you, Weston. Is, is Oliver there? Is anybody else there?
3: No, unfortunately. Two man, two man show tonight, man. Yeah, it's just we're just writing. We're just writing solo, basically.
4: I mean, you got a good. You've got two good guys, so it's a, it's a good show. <laughs> Tobias, I'm
3: still assuming that you're you're still
0: nursing your hangover from the Super Bowl when your Kansas City football <laughs> oh Chiefs. Oh my.
4: God. George, I almost I almost missed work the next day. It was that bad. It was a two-day hangover. No lie. And I drunkenly ordered more Super Bowl memorabilia than I needed
0: to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, brother. Miss you. Glad you're all well. Right. Thanks for calling in. I'll uh, miss you all. All right. All right. Bye, Toby. Nice
3: uh, miss him so much. What a hangover. So
0: I can that. still hear his voice. That been... I um wanted to give the shout-out from Oliver about the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. He's mm-hmm, got some mm-hmm. predictions. He's a betting man. Oh, he
3: is. I think. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I don't know. I would never get to bet with Oliver ever. Not even once. Well, he would just be
0: he'd be so sure and confident. You would start to sort of second-guess I know. Absolutely. So he's got some predictions. We're, we're going to recap the winners, of course, uh, in a show or two. Um, but his predictions... To be left standing at the end are Denise Belez and Whitney Morrison. Whitney Morrison, I believe, from Chicago.
3: Oh, local! That would be pretty swell. We'll see if that holds up. We'll check in, and then uh, if he's wrong, we'll give him uh, just give him the the worst time.
0: Couple uh, you know waning minutes here for the two minute drill. Weston wondering if there's. A story that you wanted to give a hot take there's, on.
3: There's, there's a couple. I first of all, the, uh, the, the opera ball, the first uh, same-sex couple, uh, at least openly. Uh, in, it, it's mind-boggling to me that that thing's been going on for, gosh, a million years. <laughs> it's. it's I mean, about time is all I can say.
0: I mean, it's a debutante ball. I mean, you're from the south, True. right? Yeah. yeah. Did that, you ever go to a debutante? I did ball? not.
3: I was. Uh, my parents are far too northern for that. Um, we weren't allowed at all the picnics. We 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 had uh, a uh, not enough mayonnaise in our. Um, In our potato salad. I guess Uh, not.
0: (laughs) Did you do that like kind of vinegary, like German potato salad? Yeah,
3: much to our shame. Don't spread that around to my uh, friends from Alabama. They'll they'll make fun of me. Put bacon in that. Oh, Oh, I do like bacon. Oh, it's good. Anyway, uh, I I wanted to point out actually this uh, this uh, I think we'll probably put it on our website, but there's a a the video of the Swedish ad agency, uh, the Opera or Broccoli. Basically, they like put them put the kids in a room and they lift it up like these, you know, big silver like uh, serving platter things where you can't see what's underneath. Uh, Open it up uh, and uh, there's broccoli in one. They're like, oh, gross. I hate broccoli because I'm a child. Relatable. Uh, And then they lift it up the other one. It's just like this opera singer's head going, ah. And then they had to choose. They made the children choose I no mean, <laughs> sweets. They're so they're so strange. And yeah. then they and then they took them to a production of Coraline, which is the scariest story made ostensibly for children on the planet. However, the opera's really good and apparently a lot of the children who actually went Really liked it. So whatever works, works. We'll, we'll put
0: the link onto our website, com. I would love to see that opera. I'm not a huge Neil Gaiman fan. My wife really likes Neil Gaiman. Yeah, it's... But a,
3: Coraline would be interesting. I love Coraline. I've, I've seen little clips of it. I, I don't think there's a full recording out yet, which, yeah. means, which is why I haven't heard it. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's neat. The op- The music is much more modern than I think... Uh, we would uh, be inclined to take children, too, here in the U.S. But, um, hey, I mean, it's that or broccoli. Uh, That's
0: the thing, though, is like, you know... Let's let's not
3: sell our children short. Yeah, not that yeah. you're
0: doing that, but it's like they really don't know oh, you, you're, that you're, like Mozart needs to be precious.
3: You're 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 talking to me, George. I, I know I am. I, I was I'm listening not, to Berg when I was in diapers. It was great. <laughs> uh, I also want to I point really, out. I really don't want to picture that. I just... <laughs> and it was last week. <laughs> uh, I do want to. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, let's refocus. 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 Okay. Uh, I do want to uh, also point out that um, uh, Israeli opera. What are you doing? Uh, the the fact that Placido Domingo, uh, he is thoroughly hashtag canceled here in the U.S., but I think it's it's so interesting how basically anywhere else in the world he seems to be doing just fine. It's almost a little frustrating. Uh, well, was a lot
0: frustrating. Like, do they see him as an American import? Like American culture has a certain cachet overseas, right? That is the lesson. Well, he's not that American, we learned, though. That this is my question: Do they view him as Spanish? Do they view him as American? Hmm. And if they view him as American, are they cutting him slack because they need the importance of American culture? If they view him as Spanish, are they cutting him slack because? As he himself has said, well, you know, I mean, in my day, we, we called it gallantry. Yeah, mean,
3: yeah, gross. I mean, that whole
0: Spanish, that whole Spanish <laughs> I, culture. I would be like...
3: very interested if any of our uh, European listeners, or not even European, but not non-American listeners, could weigh in on the perception of Domingo elsewhere. That would be very interesting to me. Also, before we uh, wrap up the show, I do want to point out, Bonathon still going on 847 866 wnur Get your sticker, your t-shirt, your hat, or you can go to WNUR.org/slash donate. It helps keep not just us on the air, but literally everyone else who uses this station. Uh, please, please, please donate. You get swag, and it's just a just a nice thing to do. Let's
1: wrap it up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. I has been America fun, just talk. you and me. I, this is why I love the two-person show. I, <laughs> I really do. Uh, we got a couple good call, bad calls from the rest of the team. Oliver recommends four tracks from Karim Suleiman and Yi hong Yang's new Schubert album with Forte Piano. That's on iTunes. The album's called Where Only Stars Can Hear Us. That's out March 6. You can vote for Schubert on Forte Piano with your dollars.
3: I have uh, one that uh, Matt just uh, sent in for us. Uh, Constellation Men's Ensemble will join the voices of La Cachina in a program exploring aging, memory loss, and how we still find each other in community amidst losing ourselves. That'll be Friday, February 28th at 20, uh, 2020 this year at 7.30 p.m. at the Merritt School of Music in the West Loop here in Chicago, and Sunday, March 1st at 4 p.m. at the Alice Miller Chapel, which is 1870 Sheridan Road, in evanston tickets are available at constellationensemble.org.
0: i loved this i saw this uh link that um, atlanta opera is giving out free tickets to vets oh yeah in the yeah. atlanta area for its two productions of oh pergium best and the other one i think is madama butterfly
3: it, it could, statistically it probably is <laughs> i also want and to be right uh, point out that uh Agrippina at, at the Met this Saturday with uh, Joyce DiDonato, Kate Lindsay, Brenda Ray, Yestine Davis, friend of the show. It's going to be a good time.
0: That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager is at WNUR, Henry is Somil Zangvi. Our announcer is Norm Modell. He's at voxershorts.com, V O X E R S H O R T S.com. Our theme song, Vodka and Forno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. Opera Statistics on this day content from OperaBase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at opera Box Score. Podcast version of our show available wherever you get your pods. Creative Consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about Opera now that you get one extra day this year. That's Friday the 29th. One extra day to talk about the art form that we love so dearly. We're back. Next week, Monday, March 2nd, 9 p.m. Central, when Enigma Chamber Opera's founder, Kirsten Cairns, joins us live in studio. Plus more opera news, more hot takes, more tis the season, season announcements. Join us. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.